Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. But he's talking about Nathan's, which was, you know, a fast food place on Long Beach Road in, in Oceanside. They're pretty cool bikers there. Yeah, well, I, I didn't remember the bikers, but they had nice girls, apparently. We used to go there for lunch. We used to get in the car, drive as fast as we could from Hewlett High School to Nathan's, get something, put it back in the car, drive as fast as we could back to Hewlett, and go to class I on 6th I can't be the period. only one. As you're telling the story, all I'm hearing in my head is be true to your school. That's right. Mike loves singing lead for the Beach Boys at that point. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. By the way, to follow up on that story, that was the email from DG. Yeah, DG. Yes. Yeah, DG. Um, and it was about Richie Lobel. That was the connection between DG and me, Richie Lobel. So I talked about the fact that I, he went to Harvard, and Stephen Pierce all went to Penn, and they played against each other in the Ivy League for a few years. Yeah, the ancient eight. Well, I got a note from my friend Stephen Pearsall, who everybody refers to as Gooch, and Gooch said, I don't remember playing against him in varsity, and we didn't play an Ivy League schedule as freshmen. In those days, freshmen were not allowed to play. There was a freshman team. Freshmen could not play varsity basketball. Famously, Lou Alcindor could not play at UCLA in his freshman year. Now, that's, this is, that's the way it was in those days. That's 50, 60 years ago. And so he said, I, you know, he said, I remember Richie Lobel from Fauxium South, but I don't remember playing against him in college. So that's just a, an update for DG. He may want to know that if indeed he's listening. So I thought I would say that. Uh, let me thank Amy Singer. She sent over a book. Her book is called There She Was, The Secret History of Miss America. It's published now. It's out now. She autographed the book. She apparently... I've told this story a thousand times that I covered a Miss America pageant in Atlantic City when the Miss America pageant meant something. And she, you know, took from those stories that I wrote and thanked me for that. So good. So it's, that's a great title. There she was. It really is a great title, considering the Burt Parks song, There She Is, Miss America. Uh, that's a great title. So we wish Amy luck. She works at the Washington Post. The large news of the day where we live in Washington is... There's a change in the masking policy in Washington, D.C. You no longer have to wear a mask indoors. You don't have to. Now, I'm going to continue to do it because I actually think it's safer. And it doesn't bother me even a little to do. I'm good with it. And I also don't think automatically you take off the mask and nothing's going to happen. Like, I don't think that. And I read this story and I highlighted a few things in the story in the post today. Particularly something from Brian Myers. Brian Myers is identified as the CEO of the fitness chain Solid Core, which has 75 locations in 22 states. And he singled out D.C. as, quote, the least transparent and least data driven among the jurisdictions whose changing policies his staff tracks in a massive spreadsheet. And he says, we are still quite frustrated and dismayed that it has taken D.C. leaders this long to adopt this approach that is more in line with what we see in other jurisdictions around the country said Myers, who welcomed the option of allowing people to exercise without masks and vaccine-required fitness classes. Let's drill down a little bit on this. His entire economics is tied up in fitness. And fitness is one of those places that very early, because of sweating and breathing and close proximity, went mask. And they were closed. A lot of gyms were closed. And this guy probably took a bath economically. 
For him to say we're frustrated it's taken D.C. leaders this long to adopt this approach that is more in line with what we see in other jurisdictions around the country. Give me a break. This thing goes state to state, county to county, town to town, block to block. You can't do it that way. You have to look at what's going on where you are. You have to check the numbers where you are. You don't have a universal policy. It doesn't make any sense. In Europe, they're reclosing things right now. So, you know, I understand so this is your, your large, business. Yeah, that's your larger issue. You, you clearly have a point of view for this. I think it's important to backtrack and say just because there's a the mask mandate is lessening here, it's not completely going away. So individual businesses still have the right. So for you, they do. if and when we go to the Safeway, the Safeway can still say, we want you to wear a mask or pull what some of the stores are doing across the river going, we highly recommend that you wear a mask. So they try and appease everyone because now there's actually companies that are going on the record to attract employees saying, we don't require vaccines here. Uh, so if you're doing anything with the city services, if you're going to public libraries, if you're going through the schools, you will still be required to wear a mask, which is fine. I think the larger point that this business person is trying to make is, is hold give up. Me money. Well, no, that's not fair. For the last year, you've allowed the bar owners who are in the same economic predicament to say, as long as you are eating or drinking, you can stand shoulder to shoulder, uh, enjoying that point. experience. And we're not allowed to say we can have classes. Now, it's another issue. What if you had a class that requires vaccines, uh, you know, passports to enter the building? But we can. We have. If you look at the the data, you might say, well, it's not just citywide or countywide, if we go into these micro-neighborhoods where you're seeing some of these gyms, what if our vaccine rate is high enough that our that our customers and our staff feels comfortable allowing you to take or encouraging or letting you take that mask down? This is fine. But I think, yes, my point is that my point is that this is born, his quote is born out of total economic interest, which sure. I appreciate. I, I appreciate it. But the notion that everybody has to do the same all around the country I don't appreciate, and I think it's a mistake. Here's a part of the story. The company that runs the Capital One Arena said masks would no longer be required for fans at Capitals and Wizards games, some of the largest indoor gatherings in the regions, though the arena staff would still be required to wear them. Can somebody explain this to me? Can somebody explain that if the arena staff is required to wear them, why isn't everybody required to wear them? I see this at the, you know, Columbia. Where the staff wears masks. I, I think if you are saying that the staff needs to wear masks, you need to wear masks. To me, that's how I feel. There's a woman quoted grocery worker Catherine Scott. Said she went to D.C.'s 930 Club recently, was irritated that staff members told her to put her mask back on between sips of her beer. Thinking of the, quote, glorious rave that she attended in Manhattan, where attendees showed their vaccine cards at the door, then partied without masks inside. Scott left the D.C. Club early, said, quote, I just want to go to another city where they're handling this better, she thought. Okay. I think everybody's trying to handle it well. I think it's a pandemic. I think the vaccines have helped enormously. But the rates are still higher than anybody wants them to be. And if masking helps, how terrible is it? And then it's not even about the masks. It's become a civil libertarian debate at this point. Right, Michael? That's what it is. People are lining up. They're lining up with the don't tread on me on one side and that you owe this to your neighbors on the other side. That's what's happened. I think it's very tough where we are because you think about just the access that we have to, say, Montgomery County, where in the last two weeks, no one knows what it actually means right. to have a mask on or off. No. What does it mean if I go into, into the grocery store just across you know, the Maryland border? And I think... 
the issue that you're looking at here is when it comes down to the mask, what is it, if you're not wearing the mask properly, is it doing anything? So then does it just become the theater of we're, we're putting something on our face because it's safer in terms of we're avoiding the criticism? Uh, when we're looking at, um, I'll leave you that. Okay. Uh, okay. So, I mean, this, uh, real people can have real differences in this, right? No, you can, absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, uh, we all live in DC. You come right. back to DC, where I think some of the issue that you're that you're not fully addressing is people just said, "Just tell us what data you're using and when you will have these decisions," rather than just saying, "Well, no one we know." Yeah, and and I think I don't know if it was this bloke in in the, in the column that you just wrote uh, or you just read about. But there was some guy who was representing the gyms and lobbying the D.C. health czar when it. they were going to. And her response uh, was like, look, I'm tired of getting your emails. I'm tired of you bothering me. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you when you can do this and don't bother me until then. And it was sort well, of. This, now you don't do that. It was very imperial. No, no, and no, no. Was, no yeah, you don't and, do that because you're an elected representative or an appointed right, representative. Yeah. This is my issue with Rehoboth Beach. Right. And don't yeah. give me the Heisman. Exactly. And that and that was I think that's what's really burned the, the yeah. gym owners because like as Michael pointed out, you're doing all these things, you're building new lanes on sidewalks for people to eat out. You're doing all these things to help restaurants touch, which is fantastic. But why is it so hard to use a mask in a gym? I've i I've seen it for months at Columbia. People now, not now, but for months people used a mask in a gym. Why is that so hard? Why is that so hard? I just think some people, they don't, they're just not comfortable with it. They're not comfortable breathing heavily into it if they're doing cardio or something like that on a treadmill. You so know? You're making this argument to me. I, nothing will change for me for another year because we have kids under the age of five. So right, right. Yeah. Um, I look at you and I look at this type of decision and I want to say you've had your, it's fair to say you've had your booster. You have yes. been, you follow local guidance. Yes. This is one step where I'm hoping you can start to look at what does life look like in the years that are ahead of us where you're no longer calling this a pandemic but an endemic and we're trying to think how does Tony start to get get over the threshold of doing small activities whether it's whether it's eating indoors whether it's going to that gym where he's where he's assessing the risk in real time but he's at least putting himself out there so for us we went to the beach for, you know this past weekend we ate in a restaurant for the first time in four or five months and it felt fine based on the based on the protocols our family were doing in terms of where we were sitting, the size of the restaurant. We obviously eat at five o'clock, so no one's there anyway. But right. you still would not do that. No, no, I would not. But that's I'm just very old and very overly cautious. But I also I also don't complain about it. This is right. my choice. Yeah, I'm okay with the choice that I've made. I will wear the mask when I need to wear the mask. It's the people who get on an airplane. And then stand up and say, you can't make me wear this mask. And, and then uh, cough yeah. on you. And yeah, then cut their toenails. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's all like, look, if you're going to get on an airplane, you've got to understand, you've got to do this. And, and if the, the rules are what they are in your particular city, then that's what the rules are. Are, are you seeing the stories about the, uh, the pharmacies that are giving the full-size vaccine dose to the little kids? Oh, yeah. No, they shouldn't do that, no, right? No, no, I would not recommend that. It was in that. Virginia, no. wasn't it? Yes. No, they shouldn't do that. Yeah. They shouldn't do that. One other thing I wanted to mention. Did, did I talk on the air? I think I did. About the checkout, about the no, the Taylor Swift song. <laughs> oh, can I just can I talk about the story? That there was a wonderful story in the watch. I've now read two stories about Taylor Swift. I think Dad's a secret Swifty. All right, I've read two stories now in the past four days about Taylor Swift and this song, All Too Well, All Too Well, which is highly regarded, widely regarded as one of her best, if not her best song ever. <clears throat> In the Washington Post story, it mentioned that this is about the breakup with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes, her three-month relationship Very with Jake specifically Gyllenhaal. referenced maple lattes and a scarf in the drawer and this, that, and the scarf other Scarf at his sister's house. Yeah. 
in Maggie Gyllenhaal's house. It's and, and, and it was a really good story. I read one in the Times yesterday. Mostly, it was like by a critic, and it it talked about the weaponization of memory, which is exactly what Taylor Swift has done here. And is her right? Although it would warn should warn somebody don't get involved <laughs> with somebody like this. But it also it did not even mention the Gyllenhaals, which to me was the great catch. In the story, that is Jake Gyllenhaal. And that Taylor Swift has said, even when I'm older, you'll be dating people younger than me, which he's doing. <laughs> yeah. Which he's doing. Um, and I, so I played the song all too well a number of times, and I like the song. So we, we You were, like her. I've always li- So Taylor Swift's first CD, I think it was the self-titled Taylor Swift album, came out my junior, senior year of college. So around that fall of 07, she was writing these songs that were very specific to the experience of a late teen, you know, young adult, when you think about the song, Tim McGraw, when you think Tim McGraw, you'll think of me, the sounds of sort of summer in Nashville, the sounds of first love um, with our song. These were, these were very specific timestamp songs to a, to a young person's age. And she was still trying to figure out the path through country, which at a time was still not giving a lot of airplay to female artists. And if you look at the rise of her a career, she was still at a point where album sales drove everything. You could go to a Walmart, a Target, pick up her latest album at the front of the cash register, Tower and Records. then yeah, Tower Records, and then go to the, the the tour, which became the stadium tour. She was one of the last artists that sold that. And you're coming back to an album. I think it came out in ten years, twenty twelve or so, like ten years ago. Yeah, so all all too well. And it's called I, Red. The album was called Red. Thank you. I'm familiar with Red. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. okay. Uh, so we're leaving the house, and Dad just goes. Michael, have you have you heard of you're like Taylor Swift, right? Have you heard of this song All Too Well? And without missing a beat, I'm putting the boy in the car saying, go, what? Uh, you call me up again to break me like a promise, so casually cruel in the name of being honest. Yeah. And you go, Yeah, that's the line. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, so with that song and with that album, you see this inflection point where it's not just the songs of sort of what you'd always call the mad libs fill-in country songs. And then she had this pause period where it was the early foray into pop where you didn't know exactly which lane she would use. And she still sort of had the Kanye response uh, songs and album. And to me, so much of this changed with the legal battle that she's been going through with her, I think it's her formal Former label. Manager, yeah. uh, so she has tried to re-own the masters yeah. of these songs. So she's re-releasing under the... She's re-recording them. Yeah. yeah, under the parenthetical Taylor's version. So you basically can choose and say, no, no, you can hold on to that one. We're going with we're going with T-Swizzle here. Uh, so that song's great. And, and you saw this in the pandemic. If you're a Taylor Swift fan and you have not seen this, Dad, go to Netflix and watch the documentary, no. The Long Pond Sessions, yeah, where she goes through a live recording of her Folklore album. You didn't know I knew all this about Taylor Swift, no, did you? it's exciting for me. Uh, so Folklore was, she basically said as an artist, she had to speak to the early stages of the pandemic through her songwriting. Uh, and it was not necessarily purely biographical, which we get to back in, in All Too Well, but... Uh, no, this is a bad week for Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, yes. And you go back to this and you look back at the at the ages and you go, man, she was 20. He was in his late 20s, I think 29. It was a short romance, but just this, the specificity of those him. images. You don't go to the birthday party. She, you try and smooth over the dad. She killed him. Yeah. Have you watched, the, have you watched the short film? No. There's, no, a, there's, a, there's a, like a, an art piece that follows this. And the actor still has the beard. She's mean. 
right. Why you got to be so mean? I admire that. Didn't she do the same thing to John Mayer as well? So th- I admire Again, in, this. in the folklore of her relationships with older men, the, the response that John Mayer had after her song Dear John came out basically sort of weaponized a lot of the masses about how Taylor Swift uses some of these relationships. Uh, and I think that song is also going to be re- revisited in a different light considering the the age difference and sort of what his response then led I'm to. I'm now ready to... to You're all in on T-Swizzle? <laughs> read everything about her. Yeah. <laughs> She's, yeah. All right, let's take a break. Jeff Passan. When we come back, Jeff Passan joins us. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Indochino ad. Nigel? Yes, I love Indochino. I've got three suits. I'm starting to fit back into them now, which is That's good. fantastic. We don't want to fat shame you. <laughs> no, no, we don't shame. care what you weigh. No, I know. But it, but it's discouraging when you get the suit, which is you know tailored to your dimensions. In At it. that moment. Yes. So it's, If that's you mo- change your dimensions, the suit is not elasticized. <laughs> no, it's not. Right. But it does. When it fits, it fits brilliantly, and it does fit again. And, and I love it because, first of all, it doesn't cost a lot of money, and you can customize it in any way you want. It takes just a few weeks to get to you, and you look brilliant when you get it. People have gotten a little too used to wearing sweatpants. I know I have. Replace the suit that's been gathering dust in your closet and bring back looking great, uh, looking great back into style. Looking great is wonderful. Yes. But it's not just about looking great. It's about feeling confident and standing out, which is exactly how you feel when the suit Absolutely. fits you well. There's never been a better time to upgrade your look. Indochino's Black Friday event has their lowest prices of the year on suits, shirts, outerwear, and more. Plus, you'll save even more by using the code Tony K. And as I tell you all the time, use the code, people. Indochino offers completely custom-fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more at surprisingly affordable prices. Get a wardrobe personalized to your style and taste without spending a fortune. Measure yourself on their website in 10 minutes, then wear your suit out of the box in three to four weeks. Every piece is made to your exact measurements. You can customize every detail, the fabric, the label, the monogram, the statement linings. You can create a suit that fits you and your style perfectly. And the best part is that Indochino suits start from just $299 and shirts from $45 with all customizations included. So get away from the video calls and back into looking and feeling amazing. Indochino's Black Friday event runs until November 29th. So that's a week and a half, I believe. Save even more and get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the promo code TONYK at Indochino.com. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, Indochino.com, and use the promo code TONYK. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Ted Carpenter that you're about to hear, and this is sent to us by Kofi Roselle. And he writes, Dear Tony, after much vacillating and many rewrites, I'm finally submitting this addition to the amazing pool of talent that is on offer on the show. In the vein of connective tissue, I've had the pleasure of making the acquaintance of one Neville Waters, yes, that Neville, as he was the manager of my good friend, the legendary photographer of the stars, Augie Ogburn. I also worked for DC's best restaurateurs, Todd Gray and Ellen Kassoff in the early aughts. When a pre-Hofwaff, not yet Grandpa, Bootsy and the Hammer, Mr. Tony came in for lunch in the atrium. In Equinox, it's just a wonderful, wonderful restaurant. Todd Gray's got a great restaurant now out at uh, Rehoboth on Rehoboth Avenue. Fancy fritter or something like that. Yeah, that's Todd's. Todd and and Ellen. Very nice. Anyway, this is Ted Carpenter. This is called Took My Soul. Lovely. Just lovely. Plays in Jeff Passan. We're going to talk with Jeff Passan about the possibility of baseball not existing next year. But I want to start with this. Because maybe I'm getting way deep in the weeds in this, and, and maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. 
Noah Syndergaard signed a one-year deal yesterday with the Angels. Noah Syndergaard was a very great pitcher with the Mets. He's undergone Tommy John surgery. The track record is that people come back for a shorter amount of time than they want, but that they do come back after Tommy John. But he signed a one-year deal for $21 million, Jake. Last year, the Nats spent $10 million on Kyle Schwarber, and they spent $10 million on John Lester. $21 million on a one-year deal is a lot of millions. What is the implication on that much money, or is it simply that the Angels wanted him and were going to outbid everyone else? I will answer this. I have to get this off my chest first. Ted Carpenter might be the most prolific name dropper I've ever seen. That was really? tremendous efficiency. That was tremendous efficiency. Oh no, that was In Kofi like- Kofi Roselle who wrote the who wrote it. Ted Carpenter just oh, sang. Oh no, I screwed it up. I heard Ted. Car- okay, yes, Kofi. Like, <laughs> Sorry. That's a lot of name dropping right there. Yep. <laughs> yep. A lot. But it's the connective tissue of the show. Everybody knows those people, so it's okay. Anyway. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. All right. Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard for $21 million is a risk, but it shows you how valuable high-end pitching is. Does it not? I mean, like, let's look at your city, Tony. Max Scherzer yep. was making $35 million a year. Steven Strasburg was making $35 million a year. Yeah. Patrick Corbin was making, yeah. you know, 20-something a year. Like, that's just the price of pitching these days. And, and Kyle Schwarber was making 10 because power is abundant in baseball these days. And, and I think Kyle Schwarber, by the way, is probably going to be making more like 18 to 20 after this offseason. So I think he's probably going to do just fine. The the thing with Syndergaard is, boy, um, there's just such upside there. And if you're a team like the Angels, and you've got Mike Trout still in his prime and Shohei Otani still in his prime, and you don't want to lock yourself in, to a, a six-year deal with Robbie Ray or a five-year deal with Marcus Stroman, you go for that one-year, hopefully, home run, and you give up a second-round pick to do it. I actually, uh, maybe I'm in the minority here, I actually didn't mind that deal. It, it, when you look at what Noah Syndergaard needs right now, guy coming back from Tommy John surgery needs to be protected a little bit, and they are going to have a six-man rotation, because of Otani, and they're going to limit his innings anyway because he's coming back from Tommy John. Right. You know, the the Mets, for all of the – I don't know how much they do well. But for some of the things they do well, the the infrastructure there for pitching is not ideal. And uh, I think that Syndergaard understood that. He saw it, and – all of a sudden, when he hits free agency, a, a light goes off like, boy, there are other places out here where I can learn more and figure more out and be better. And we have seen him be healthy and quite excellent. So let, let, me, let me get to what I think is the larger issue here. Uh, as baseball faces a crisis, whether there will be baseball again at all. 
And part of the things that players talk about and their agents talk about is a sort of a limit on how many players are being rewarded in the way that they feel they should be. Is a signing like this on Syndergaard an indication that money will be spent on free agents? Just look at the shortstops out there. Correa and Seager and Story and Baez. Mm-hmm. Freddie Freeman, I think, mm-hmm. is a free agent. If, if it is an indication that money will be spent on free agents, that would be good for having baseball next year. Right, that would that's what I'm looking for, your interpretation of this, or is this just pitching and Noah Syndergaard? I think there's going to be baseball next year. I just don't know how long it's gonna take. And I you know, I remember last year during the the whole COVID negotiation, which was such a spectacular debacle for Everybody involved, for the commissioner, for the union, for the owners, for the agent. I mean, everybody in the industry, if you look back at it, they should have played 90 or 100 games. And they let egos and money get in the way. And, and I'd like to believe, Tony, that people learn from that. Uh, that. That when you make a mistake, and it was pretty clearly a mistake, that you just figure it out going forward. I have no indication yet that they have learned from it, but I also have no indication that they're stupid enough to piss away games in 2022 and that this that they're ready, either side, honestly, for a prolonged work stoppage. And the reason is, number one, I think that the owners in particular saw how COVID affected them. You know, when the when the cash spigot shuts off, they get a little panicky and they are already leveraged pretty heavily compared to where they've been in past years in terms of just total debt that they've taken on. Now, not all debt's a bad thing. I understand that. But uh, they already are. I'm not going to say leveraged to the hilt, but there's there's a lot more than there normally is. Players, on the other hand, like when, when have players ever historically been ready for a a true long labor stoppage like major league baseball players haven't done this in a quarter century the idea that they're sitting there and saving up a war chest and that players financially are ready for this is is silly because that war chest will deplete very quickly and players will say i want to go back to my life where i'm getting a check every week that has a lot of money and a comma uh, and maybe two commas in it. Um, so th- there is, you know, there is incentive there for it to get done. And I believe, I want to believe in the better angels of baseball. I also know that they're just dumb enough to drive the car off the cliff. Is there someone in your mind who's leading the charge to stop baseball? Is there someone who's who's in that? Is it Scott Boris, for example? Is there someone just, out there? I was just going to say, are you alluding to Scott Boris? Because yeah. there is Scott Boris is an interesting boogeyman, and he's an interesting boogeyman because there are large parties that can be aligned against him and use the narrative that he is in control of the union. And the one behind the wheel driving it off the cliff. There are other agents 
who see Boris as, uh, you know, the most powerful agent in the industry with the biggest client roster, who has no problem parading himself out there and telling dad jokes at the GM meetings about what his clients are going to do. And a lot of people don't like him because they've had clients stolen by him. And a lot of people at Major League Baseball don't like him because he's been throwing a middle finger at them for three decades now. Now, it's convenient to call him the boogeyman, but is it real? Uh, while, While he may not be the person behind the scenes who is puppeteering this whole thing, there's a fact that of the eight seats on Major League Baseball Players Association Executive Council, which is essentially the the gang of eight, if you will, that yeah. runs the MLBPA, five of them are Scott Boris clients. So that that is a that is a very powerful thing for an agent to have, especially an agent whose players look at him, uh, respect him, and all hire him for a reason. Because he is aggressive and because he does have perspective. And, and, and so, you know, there, there are plenty of people inside of the industry who believe that Scott Boris is the uh, shadow president of the union. I, you know, I, I think that's an exaggeration. I think it's convenient to say, but to deny that he has power if if through no other way than the players that he has would just be denying reality. I, I think the answer to your question, Tony, is Rob Manfred. Like he's the he's the one who in the end is gonna say yay or nay to a deal, and he's the one who's trying to uh at all times and and often unsuccessfully placate thirty billionaires who all have their own agendas, just like all the players do. But you remain, if I've, if I've caught you correctly, you remain optimistic. Hmm. You know, maybe this is me just trying to deny that my parents' fights are getting worse and worse and that a divorce <laughs> is inevitable. <laughs> okay. You guys really like each other. Everything's going to be okay. And then I go into a corner and chew on my blanket. Um, yeah. and, and my parents, by the way, still married after 42 years now. So, mom, dad, sorry for the analogy. But uh, I, I just I, I can't get too serious about this until they actually start talking. Now, they have been talking in, in the... Uh, in the real sense of the word, but they haven't been talking in like the negotiating sense of the word. Both sides still look at each other. And we're, by the way, we're two weeks out from a lockout at this point. Both sides yeah. are still looking at each other saying, what do you actually want? They're, they're, they're still at that point in negotiations where they're confused about what the other side wants. And, I think the reality is we've always seen the deadline for this as December 1st. Uh, For for a while now, I've been treating the deadline for this as February 1st. Because if you have a deal in place by February 1st, that allows you to have a very frenzied free agent period before spring training starts. And, yeah, it's going to be crazy. And, yeah, it's actually going to be kind of interesting. 
But at very least, you're going to have some semblance of a normal spring training at that point. When you start messing with spring training, then then the existential threat of regular season games lost becomes a reality. And I think that's one thing that baseball desperately should want to avoid because, like, you know, baseball's already got its own issues, solvable issues, I think, but it's got issues. You can't introduce labor into this again after the history of baseball and so many times we've seen this, a quarter century, you're going to ruin it now. Like, just just don't. So I, I want to believe that they're going to figure their stuff out. Okay. I want to believe that, too. Thank you, Jeff. We'll be talking a lot about this with you. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. I can talk labor all day, Tony. Thank you for having <laughs> me. I appreciate it. And I apologize, Ted. I'm just, I couldn't, shouldn't have done that. No, it was okay. <laughs> Mistakes are great. They humanize all of us. They're wonderful. Oh they make us better people. Jeff Fasson, boys and girls. We will take a break. Um, Chuck Todd will join us to bet on games when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. What's easier than opening a can of cranberry sauce? Getting free life insurance quotes with Policy Genius. If you're looking for something to do while the family's running a turkey trot, you can be just as productive by comparing quotes from top life insurers with Policy Genius. This is so good. I mean, everybody else is getting ready to eat, and you're in the other room, and you're getting a quote on insurance. It's so smart. Right. If someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, an aging parent, or even a business partner, you need life insurance. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. And why compare? Because you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. You know, getting started is easy. Just head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees. It just seems to me that this is reasonable. I mean, some of, the, some of the ads we do, I go, oh, I don't know about that. This just seems reasonable to me. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening, You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, we're playing the music of Ted Thompson. Why is it Ted Thompson? I thought it was Ted Carpenter. Is it Ted Thompson? Or oh, Ted? Is it, uh, that might be. What have you done with this? It's Ted Carpenter. And yes. You wrote in Ted Thompson. I think I know it's Ted Thompson. So I think that subliminally was so in idiotic. my idiotic. Yes, Ted Carpenter. Is. The music of Ted Carpenter. Push the button. Yeah, um, Kofi Rosell sent this in. After many years as a touring musician, I ran One World Studios at 9th and N Northwest, where I met many of the area's best musicians and bands, including the phenomenal Kendall Jackson of the Highballers, whose music has also been played on your stinking show. In recent years, I've been working exclusively as a mix engineer and studio drummer under the moniker of the Invisible Arts Lab. In this capacity, I met the amazing singer-songwriter Ted Carpenter, formerly of Mercury Records' Father's Children. The songs on this album, Cross Currents, represent many genres, while also showcasing the amazing vocal quality and songwriting prowess of one of DC's finest performers. Ted Carpenter, Nigel. This is very good. Um, this is the second time we played him today. 
And Michael, if people like Ted Carpenter or friends of Ted Carpenter want to send in someone's music that's great, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. And again, at the end of this show, you can listen to this in its entirety without a bunch of dopes talking over. Uh, he plays in Chuck Todd, who had a real good week. Chuck Todd was 5-2. and two. He's now 32-37-1, which means he's within sight of Mount 500, as, as I think it may <laughs> even become a little bit easier to bet because now we got 10 games behind us and we see trends and we sort of get it. So let us start with one of the hottest teams in the NFL, if not the hottest team, New England. New England has won four in a row. They've won five out of six in the four in a row. Chuck, they have outscored opponents 150 to 50. They're in the Thursday night game, so that's tomorrow. They're at Atlanta. Atlanta's an average team. They're not a bad, bad team, but they're not a good team either. They're an average team. If you like New England on the road, in something that for the first time all year people will be looking at New England. You know, they're they're looking at New England as a favorite, a big-time favorite with the possibility of being a playoff team. You have to give seven on Thursday night, short week. Seven on the road, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, And, you know, watching what happened last Thursday, you know, where Baltimore went in there with just no – no practice, and and even against the Dolphins, you were reminded that that you have to you, you can't take a week off. That's a lot of points on the road and on a Thursday night. I just think it's safer to go with the home team, especially later in the season when these teams. I don't think New England's had its bye week yet, have they? I don't believe so. Yeah, I think when you have to do these Thursday night games and you haven't had your bye week yet, and you're in week ten or eleven, anyway. I think I think it's just safer to be with the road team. Uh, excuse me, the home. I team agree with you for for, for uh, all I, of those reasons. Even though I hate betting with Atlanta because you just never know what you're going to get. Atlanta is a very you know, disappointing team that yeah. cannot hold a lead, and Matt Ryan in the last two or three years has driven everybody crazy. I think New England will win the game. Seven seems like a lot to me. I agree with you on this one. We move to the Sunday games. This is an interesting line. Green Bay is giving two and a half. They're at Minnesota. Minnesota has been close all year. Won one last week. This is a mm-hmm. divisional game. Aaron Rodgers was really psyched to beat Seattle. Um, maybe that continues. I don't know. I don't know how it works. If you like Green Bay, two and a half. Well, I have my own. Every time I, I think I'm not going to bet against Rodgers. I've made that mistake once this year. It's just not going to happen. Right. But I hate giving points in divisional games. Hate it. Yes. Especially giving points in divisional games on the road. I will tell you this. Since we all get to make fancier bets now, now that it's legal, at least we're on my side of the river. Uh, Minnesota's a great teaser candidate. I'd be, you know, pairing them with somebody and get, getting them up to eight and a half because this game has field goal. It, it, you know, it's a Minnesota game. Every Minnesota game's close, yep. number one. Yep. Yep. Uh, and yep. it's the way the Packers play. So uh, the two and a half, I'm going to take the Packers and, and, and assume that he will do what he does. But um, I don't love it for all the reasons I said. The next game is New Orleans at Philadelphia. Philadelphia is better than we thought. The NFC East may be a little bit better than we thought originally. New Orleans still has no reliable quarterback. It doesn't give you a lot of confidence. Philadelphia is better than we thought, but not good. Philadelphia is not good. Let's not go crazy here. If you like New Orleans, you get one and a half. That's a part of this. It's... it's, uh... It's starting to see, like, Philadelphia is a lot more fun as an underdog. You have to start believing that they are, 
they're favored to win now, you know. By the way, the Alabama quarterbacks, they're looking all right, aren't they? Yes, they are. Jones and Hurts and, yes. and, and even Tua when he's healthy. You know, it yep. proves that, that, that. So, uh, I, uh, I'm gonna. Whenever I, I think when you can get, uh, when you can get Sean Payton getting points, you should take it. And I'm gonna do that here with the Saints. Takes New Orleans. This next line is odd to me. Cincinnati has had two bad games in a row. Ugh. I think they're coming out of a bye. They're the at Las Vegas. God, I hate betting the Bengals. Las Sorry. Vegas <laughs> is a is a train wreck right now, and the reason is not just John Gruden. The reason is they've had to cut two of their top draft choices for impossibly terrible behavior. It's just impossibly terrible behavior. And you got to think that at some point in that locker room, there's some sense what is going on here. But Cincinnati is tough to bet. Cincinnati's the favorite at Las Vegas. And I've got, be honest, that surprises me, given what they've done the last two weeks. Um, if you like Vegas, you're going to actually get one in Las Vegas. Yeah. If it were more than one, it would be it. W- it might be tempting, but I think, boy, they just threw in the towel against the Chiefs. They, they weren't did. even competitive. They did. That they did. that felt like a t- yeah. That felt like a team that that that's what this line. What people seem to smell that maybe they quit. You know how long yeah. were they going to go without a coach, without all that stuff? So uh, give me the Bengals, but God, it's the same thing as the Falcons. Every time you, you think this. you know something with the Bengals, <laughs> they they just. Okay, they just roll you. I can't believe they're not involved in the tie, but that's you know. But but yeah. you know, give the season's still long, so they can get in one. All right, this is a great game. Dallas at Kansas City. Um, I know you said that Kansas City rolled Vegas, and they did, but that was in the fourth quarter after Deshaun Jackson fumbled. That was a late blowout. That was a close game and could have been twenty four twenty one if Deshaun Jackson doesn't fumble because they're at about the twenty at that point. Dallas looked good in a bounce-back game that you knew they were going to bounce back in. You knew that. This is a question of which team is really good. This is Dallas at Kansas City. They are both likely playoff teams. You get two and a half if you like Dallas. A two and a half. This is I, – I, uh, I don't want to bet it because of what Kansas City – I mean, right, they've they basically covered once this year. I That's think. right. I think just, that's right. just the other day. Yeah, that's it. Right. This is their first their first cover in a while. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and bet that uh, I'll take Andy Reid over Mike McCarthy, that that's what you're betting on here at the end of the day. Um, in a very close game, I think the Chiefs need it more than the Cowboys do, It's since it's not inside the conference or inside the division. Um, so give me the Chiefs, but... Okay. Let let's see, right? Like if they have if they do another stinker, then do you just sort of give up on them? You just sort of say, "Yep, this is the Super Bowl hangover. This is what's happening." That's right. That's yeah. right. That, I I think yeah. I mean, they need to put two together in a row. I actually yeah. like them this week. I do because I think you get up for Dallas. Pittsburgh is getting five and a half. That's a late line change. They were getting four and a half. <laughs> They're at the LA Chargers. Pittsburgh should get twelve and a half because they stunk so badly. <laughs> Set overtime was so brutal, so awful. Terrible. Do you watch Just, it? Were you like red zone watching? Right? Yeah, red, zone red zone watching, watching and it was on. They, they showed so the whole terrible. thing. Well, because Dreadful. there were no other the early game, right? The four o'clock games didn't have any good action in it. And no. an overtime game. You know, any play can end it at that point. So they always sit in it. <laughs> it 
was brutal. Awful. Now, this line went up a point overnight, I think, because there's a report that Ben Roethlisberger may not play, that he may not be ready. And if they have to go with Mason Rudolph again, uh, you know, as a friend of mine said, Howard Feynman, he wrote me, he said, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Reindeer is better than this guy. <laughs> so you're getting five and a half at the Chargers. The Chargers have not... <sighs> The Chargers have not lived up to expectations that they started with at the beginning of the year, though Justin Herbert's very, very good. I don't know about this. Five and a half is a lot. It's really a lot. But Pittsburgh looks so terrible. Who you got? And this is going to be, you know, one of those Steelers home um, sort of road home games, right? Yes. I mean, it'll be one of those. How did the Steelers keep up with the chart? The chart, the Steelers can't score 20 points. No. And I just, you know, so I understand this line because you feel like the Chargers, you know, even if they're not playing that well, are going to score 24, 20, 27 points. And I just don't see how the Steelers score. I mean, they they proved, you know, and I don't think Big Ben's that much of an improvement over Rudolph this year. Um, and, and by the way, think about it. he moves the line one point. What did Aaron Rodgers move the line when he went about in the game? seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. five or so, six. Yeah, <laughs> one point isn't much. Give me the Chargers to roll. Okay, and one more game. Washington coming out of its biggest upset of the year, uh, beating Tampa Bay. A game that didn't surprise me. That the beating surprised me, but I didn't think Tampa Bay was going to cover because there was no incentive in that particular game. But Washington looked good. Taylor Heineke looked very, very good. Yes, they have lost Chase Young. Their defense has not been good all year anyway, even with Chase Young. They're getting three and a half at Carolina. The subplot in this game is that Cam Newton is back at Carolina, and Ron Rivera, who was his coach there, specifically did not want him in Washington, was given two years of opportunity to take him and took the backup and did not take him. I don't know how much Cam Newton burns but Cam Newton's not any good anymore. Let's not get crazy here. He can run the football. He can't throw it anywhere. Um, Carolina got off early against, it was Arizona, right? Because it's Colt McCoy. It's not Kyler Murray. Yeah. And you got to take all these things into consideration. If you like the football team, and sometimes you do, and when you have, you've usually lost. If you <laughs> no, like the football thanks for, team, thanks for noting that. yeah, you're getting three and a half. Yeah, it's a, it's, this is the one little... Truce I have with the monkey, you know, he, 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 he'd prefer to bet the home team, as you know. It's, it's important to him. I feel like I get the monkey's revenge every time. I think three <laughs> yeah. and a half a lot. I, I, and I don't love, but this feels like the ultimate, like, you know, there's no way the football team puts two, get, two games like that in a row. Carolina has no. a very good defense. They do. They're very, they do. They're very well coached. They come, they, they, they usually are in every game. And if McCaff- that team's so different with McCaffrey, it is amazing that they are just the offense. Everybody seems to uh, have a bounce in their step uh, when McCaffrey's playing. Uh, so give me the home team. Uh, and again, more of a favor for, for, for like I said, for the Reggie monkey. He, he left. Yeah. He left. There was something burning on my front step. You know, <laughs> it, it, yeah. He does this yeah. now. You know, every That's time I way. have a good week. Every time I have a good week, he does this. You know, you know. I, I, I obviously I get my son out there to put out the fire. So you know, it's a way to do it. Exactly. Step on it with somebody else's shoes. Somebody else's Chuck shoes. Chuck Todd, yep. five and two last week. Let's see if it continues. We hope so. Thank Thanks, you, Chuck. Jay.
Right Don't put it out with your boots again. Chuck Todd, boys and girls. And if we just gave you Chuck Todd, the host of Meet the Press, betting against the spread, that would be enough. But we give you a monkey. Nigel's to the zoo. <laughs> Reggie swinging from the bars. We give you a monkey. Let me see who Reggie likes after Chuck Todd Ma and the Carbs. In other words... <laughs> Throw your poo <laughs> the Vikes fight too, yeah! He's throwing a quadruple DK salute! Oh, who taught him that? <laughs> Johnny Walker! <laughs> Blue! That's tremendous. Yes. Who is that? Kyle Kettleson. That's just so good. Yes. That's so good. Yes, we love so Kyle. Good. Yes, thank so you for that. What did what did Reginald have to do this week? Reginald was one and two. Yeah. He had a bunch of winning weeks. He's 14 and 15, which is fine because he's a monkey. But he was one and two. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thought he had that Tennessee game, but Tennessee wins but doesn't cover. And that's yeah. the difference between a losing right. week and a winning week. It's just that close. Uh, so I went down to the National Zoo. He had been up all night in an all-night poker match. Shirley McLean was there, Joe Piscopo, yeah. and some oh, gentleman who would not give me his name, but just said, I work in the waste management business, and I left it at that. Please do. Yes. Figure that. Just leave that there. So they, uh, they took a brief break, because they were going to keep playing into the morning, um, and the first match we gave them was the Patriots at Atlanta. That's tonight. Uh, the Patriots giving seven. And you think that that's a lot of points. You think that he would be with Atlanta on this one. But he showed me a photograph of him playing horse with Bob Cousy, Nate Tiny Archibald, and ML Carr. Clearly, he's palsy wowsy with the folks in Boston. That's New England territory. He's going to take the Patriots. Okay. So he'll take that with that big line. Now, the next one we gave him was Philly at home giving a point and a half to the Saints. Um, and you might appreciate this. This is a, uh, I think this was from a newspaper. It was a, a photograph of him taking a tour of the Utz Potato. Potato chip factory alongside Greg Lazinski, Harold Carmichael, and a very young Ron Jaworski. Utz Potato Chips located in Pennsylvania. Hanover, Pennsylvania, I believe. Yes. Hanover, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Are you a fan of Utz Potato Chips? We used to get Utz Potato Chips in college like a hundred years ago <laughs> in big tins. Sure. Along with Charles Chips in big tins. Utz was okay. Yeah. Not, not great, but okay. But a serviceable chip. Yes, yes. Yes. Certainly. So that tells me he's going to take Philadelphia uh, and give the one and a half. And then the last one we gave him, of course, was Washington uh, getting three and a half at Carolina. And this was uh, him, and I know this is sort of a foreshadowing of next week, but him preparing a huge Thanksgiving meal with Joe Jacoby and Rich Pettibone. Just the three of them. It was a lovely little scene. So he'll take. He will take the Washington team. football team. Yes. All right. Okie dokie. Um, I hope people bet with these people. I really if do. you're betting with the monkey, you're almost breaking even. Yeah. You know, betting with Jeff Ma is smarter than the monkey, <laughs> yes, but still, yes, it's fun to bet with the monkey. That's the play. We will take a break. We will come back with email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a Simply Safe ad. If you've ever wanted to make your home feel safer, there's no better time than now. This week, the people at Simply Safe are giving our listeners early access to all their Black Friday deals. 
50% off their award-winning home security. I had no idea, and I add this parenthetically, that there were Black Friday deals on things like security systems. That's great. <laughs> Simply Safe has everything you need to make your home safe. Indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals who send help the instant you need it. All right. Simply Safe was even named best home security system of 2021 by US News and World Report. I see the signs everywhere. Sure. I do. People must like it. It must be good because people are getting it. You can easily customize the system for your home online in minutes and even get a free custom recommendation from Simply Safe. These are Simply Safe's biggest discounts of the year. You can get a complete home security system starting at just over $100. Take advantage of Simply Safe's early Black Friday deals to get 50% off your new home security system by visiting simplysafe.com/tony. Again, that's simplysafe.com slash Tony for 50% off your entire system. Simply is spelled S-I-M-P-L-I. And use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your emails, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all of you folks. Yeah, that's Denise Graves, kids. Yeah, that's opera. Wow. Nigel, what about the Bethesda Bagel? We love Kyle Kettison. We do. But Denise Graves is Denise Graves. We can't, yeah. Yes. She's not, she's not getting bumped out of her spot. No, 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 no. Uh, Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. But the Kyle Kettleson song for Reginald, just Brilliant. tremendous. Yes. Absolutely true. Oh, and we have, a, we have a new Johnny Oko that's just for the next two or three weeks. This is TK Harvest. So if you want to do some holiday shopping early, I recommend the Shoals Crew Neck Pullover or the Buckley Tee, a T-shirt that Dad likes with just has a subtle V to it, which I didn't think he'd go for. I know I like it. It's fine. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's good. Thank Very you. soft. Uh, that'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say I'm a walking in the rain. Tears have fallen and I feel a pain. Wishing you were here by me to end this misery. And I wonder, I wow, 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 wonder <laughs> why. Why, 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 why? She ran away and I wonder, will she stay my little runaway? It's Del Shannon. That's the archetypal rock and roll song from the 1950s. That's it. That's the one that Tom Petty makes reference to in his songs. Del Shannon, Runaway. That's all you need to know, all right? <laughs> Thanks to our guests today, Chuck Todd and Jeff Passan. Thanks to today's sponsors, Simply Safe Policy Genius Indochino. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. From Michael Schmidt, Mike Schmidt, not that Ooh. Mike Schmidt. Wilbon likes that Saban commercial, the one with the duck. I agree with Tony. Saban seems awkward. Baker Mayfield seems more natural in his commercials. Mike Schmidt, Ellington, Connecticut, which he writes is about halfway between Revere and Lindbrook. <laughs> Will Green in the greater Dallas area, no relation to Mo Green. On Wednesday's episode, <laughs> last Wednesday, I did not have my first David Aldridge moment. You read an email from Kevin Newman of Chicago. I said out loud to nobody in particular. I have no idea who that guy is. <laughs> but he's right. These David Aldridge moments are getting out of hand. The show stinks. I admire that. From Ken Baker in Petersburg, Illinois. First time, long time. I wanted to bring to your attention a real-life baseball Hoosier story. In the spring of 1971, as I was finishing my senior year at a tiny high school in central Illinois, an even tinier high school nearby qualified for the baseball state tournament. Macon High School made it to state that year by beating powerhouse Chicago Lane Tech in the semifinals before losing to Waukegan High School in a championship game. And why do I bring it up? The starting right fielder from Macon that year was Brian Snitker currently the Atlanta Braves manager. It's a great story, and it's detailed in a book by Chris Ballard, One Shot at Forever, which I highly recommend. We've done a lot about Brian Snicker. Makes yes. me happy. Yes, yes. 
Um, from Brian from Matsuyama, I'm confused about these new Simply Safe cameras. You say they have batteries, but are they electric? My quick toothbrush would like oh, to. Oh, no. You know. <laughs> Not from, again. From Stephen Hickey in St. John's in Newfoundland, in Canada. I have a suggestion about what to do with that trailer based on an experience I had. A few years ago, I noticed there was a utility trailer parked in front of my rental property and that had been there for about four months without moving. Channeling my in inner Mr. Tony, I called the local DMV to see if the trailer was registered. There was no license plate, and it wasn't. After some due diligence, one phone call to the manufacturer, the DMV let me register it in my own name, and I took ownership of the trailer, slapped a plate on it, and put it in my driveway. Take that gap year, kid. <laughs> From Peter Jennings, and of course, not that Peter Jennings. I was in the middle of typing this email when I received the much-appreciated shout-out from Dean Martin in Japan. Almost Dean Marin, rather, not that Dean Martin, Dean Marin in Japan. Almost fell off my ex-chair. The connective tissue of the show is both heartwarming and remarkable, but I digress. Perhaps it's your skill acquired from years of almost Pulitzer-winning sports writing or multiple Emmy-winning TV work or just being a lifelong sports but not watermelon fan. But I was so pleased to hear your dialogue on the Manning Brothers broadcast. You described the viewer attraction perfectly. I would not have watched five minutes of that game but was fascinated by the Manning's groundbreaking work. Could not turn it off. We'll be interested to see if Major League Baseball might follow suit. They might need two teams of former players, one group for the first two and a half hours and the second team for innings three through nine. Did you see the Mannings with Phil Mickelson? Just, Took over the show. They're great. They're great. <laughs> yeah, Just they great. Are. From Todd Berkner in Adamstown, Maryland, in case you run out of Christmas movies to watch on the Hallmark Channel, Netflix announced they are adding 11 new Christmas movies to their service in November. Ask Michael to help you access them. An Elf Story, The Elf on the Shelf, Elf Pets, Santa St. Bernard Save Christmas, My Dad's Christmas Date, The Claus Family, Love Hard, Father Christmas is Back, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, Snowbound for Christmas, The Princess Switch 3, Romancing the Star, A Boy Called Christmas, and A Castle for Christmas. They're all out, almost all of them. Elliot Olshansky in Comac. I know you don't do social media, but I saw an ad on Facebook the other day I thought might interest you. Want to learn how to write a holiday classic for television or publication? <laughs> Come to our live online Story Summit Writers course. This two-evening course will overflow with writing tips, insights, secrets, and specific instructions to help you write your holiday romance. The name of the course, as I'm sure you can imagine, is A Very Hallmark Holiday. <laughs> I know your fingers don't type anymore, but you might want to look into this. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, from Naaman Miller in Moncton, New Brunswick, with children aged 7, 6, 5, 4, 4, and 3, and one cat and one dog. Hey, Tony, what's your problem with sand? When I tell my kids to go out back and play with the sand pile, they don't respond, come on, Dad, sand isn't a toy. What are we even doing here? They just go out and play. Sand gets the kid outdoors, free playing with their friends. More importantly, it gives us a break from their constant need for love and attention. We don't all have the Olympics for that. If anyone who knows how to dribble so can get into the NBA HOF, then let sand have its moment. Besides, you don't want big sand breathing down your neck. P.S. Solo Stove is available on my credit card with points. Ordered can't wait. P.P.S. Send my love to Louise Goulot. Can I buy a Solo Stove with my American Express points? Sure. I may yeah, do that. Probably. Brian O'Connor in Crofton, Maryland. Simply put, if a toy is a toy, it would have been depicted in Toy Story 1, 2, 3, and 4. If sand does not have a role in any of these movies, it's not a toy. Who would have played sand in Toy Story? No one, because it is not a toy. From Bob Borello, Director of Operations in Castle in the Sand, Inc. I nominate Snow. <laughs> From Scott Beckett in Charlotte, North Carolina. Dr. Kornheiser, here's the good news. You've proven yourself quite adept at using the mnemonic of 
It's Willamette, damn it. That said, I must write in to let you know that you are frequently, you frequently mispronounce Oregon as Oregon. It's Oregon. Oregon. Don't worry, Grandpa. It's something I-95 or such as yourself regularly do, earning passive-aggressive disapproval for Oregonians. So to win over the Beaver State bike-riding Subaru drivers, try one of these. It's Oregon, son. So Lizza could be someone in Oregon. I love Oregon like Wander Swero loves an earned run. And in honor of Jason Lock and Fora, Baltimore loves Oregon, hun. I like that. Oregub. Uh, in Joe Pearson from Indianapolis. One more fun fact about Jay and the Americans. Jay Trainer, who was the original Jay, I think. Yes, what was his character? Jay Black Cara- was another one. What was the song he sang? Cara- Cara- no, 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 no. She cried. She cried, that's right. Jay Trainer's right. first name was actually John. Wow. Okay. From Michael Forrest, while listening to your podcast on Monday, the 8th of November, you were describing how you normally get to Rehoboth Beach by taking Route 16 to Coastal Highway, and you stop at the Royal Farms as like a pit stop. But unfortunately, the road was closed, and you had to look for another way to get to your destination. As I heard this, I immediately blurted out, I know that place, and I started wondering if it might count as David Aldridge moment. The road closure on Route 16 is due to a small bridge just past the Royal Farms being repaired. However, this is not the purpose of the email. You mentioned how you use the assistance in your car to give you directions to get to the beach. I find myself imagining how the directions you might have received would go something like this. Right, right, left, left, right, left, right, <laughs> over, two pot, eat the payday. Oh, look, there's the trailer. Let's see the real hang up and listen. From Dennis Bounds in Redmond, Washington. I enjoyed your story of your golf visit to Annapolis and sincere appreciation for the purpose and history of the Naval Academy. Having spent my formative years in the DMV, I managed only one visit to the Naval Academy, and that was part of a Boy Scout Troop 859 from Springfield, Virginia. We spent a day roaming the grounds of the Academy and listening to officials talk about the Academy and its long-storied role. Our day flew by when the scout leaders realized there was a basketball game late that afternoon, so we stayed a little bit longer to watch Navy play Princeton. As the game ended, a few of my fellow scouts bolted down from the stands around the corner and into one of the locker rooms. Of course, I followed. We grazed among the land of the Giants in the Princeton locker room with our programs in hand, getting as many autographs as possible. I managed only two. The first one from Princeton Center, the tallest guy in the room, who I believe in my heart was a guy named Chris Tomford, and I may be wrong about that, from Long Island Lutheran. The second was from a skinny sophomore who went on to have a pretty good career in the NBA and later as a U.S. Senator from New Jersey. Bill Bradley. How great is that? (laughs) The autograph was long since lost in the shuffle over the years, but it's a memory that lives to this day. And one more, and I really like this, from Dominic Gardner in Clinton Township, Michigan. As a longtime listener and as a proud Michigan resident, I thought I'd clear some things up on how to pronounce places like a local. And then he simply writes without pronunciation, it's Lake Orion, not Lake Orion. It's Novi, not Novi. It's Mackinac, not Mackinac. Oh, there you go. Hope this helps. Please give a TK shout out to Sean Bukowski, who introduced me to your podcast. You do great work. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. Thank you, Mr. Tony. And it all came crashing down And 
Turns a flicker to a flame She's driving me insane 
Singing, shabba dee, 